This is getting better by the minute. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. My name is John, and unfortunately, I am out my co-host, my brother Aaron, again. He is out doing the doctor thing in Zimbabwe, in Africa, and so I've been lucky enough to uh, find guests within my own family and my circle of friends, and Today is no different. I'm joined today by my cousin, Patrick. Hi, John. Hello. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing great. How are awesome. you? I'm, I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy to talk some Predator. Yeah, it's 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 a, it was fun um, coming across your movie blog. I'm just going to jump into that right now oh, before oh, we yeah. jump in the content. But um, I think my wife or my dad sent some information that you do a movie blog. And like my first thought, of course, selfishly was I have to ask Patrick to be on the podcast and you're just gung ho about it. So um, do you want to talk about the movie blog first? I, yeah, I can talk about it now. That's, sure, uh, go for it. Yeah. For the last uh, three and a half years, I've, I've been running this uh, little blog, just a simple little WordPress thing. But uh, it's uh, usually it'll be, uh, you know, just whatever. I, I enjoy go, going to the movies just as a viewer, but whatever I go to see, I try and, uh, you know, write a review about. It's a little bit of, it's kind of a, a two-prong. It's, it's sort of just a review just to kind of get my thoughts out there and say what I'm thinking. There's a little bit of a, of a consumer advocacy component of it where uh, I, I do at the end. And usually say whether or not I think it's worthwhile to see the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do have a handful of people who say they base their movie going options uh, off what I say. So I hope I haven't steered anybody wrong. But <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely been interesting to uh, uh, you know just learn how to express you know what I you know my thoughts on movies, and, and certainly it's been good for uh, for you know learning how to analyze uh, movies and analyze different elements, um, both in terms of, of you know the the narrative, what's going on in the plot, but then also, you know, other, you know, technical things. What were the people making it? What were the directions, uh, decisions? What were the, you know, the special effects or, or music or other things like that? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely helped me to see movies in a, in a different way. And uh, I, I look forward to, uh, for this uh, podcast, uh, kind of getting to apply some of that to uh, this latest minute of the Predator, uh, Predator that we're going to be watching, not The Predator. Oh, so, yeah, he almost misspoke. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it got to be careful. Yeah, and when I first heard about your movie blog, the very first review I went for was the Predator review, and we will save that review for later on in the show, just uh, a little teaser for later. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, but we're going to be talking Minute 12 of Predator today, and Minute 12 opens with Dylan taking in the new environment he just landed in and ends with a descending crane shot of more jungle. Um, And just to give a quick nudge to uh, Honest Trailers, I don't know, have you ever watched Honest Trailers? Indeed, I have. Okay, yeah, with um, John, I can't remember his last name. Bailey. Add that in later. I'll vocalize that later. Bailey. The guy doing the the trailers or whatever. The narration. Bailey. One one of the <laughs> my favorite lines. I just watched that uh, yesterday. The honest trailers for Predator, and um, one of the things he <laughs> made a point of is like people forget with all this awesome action and all these awesome lines that half of the movie is just looking at jungle and mm. um, <laughs> just laughing, making the notes for this minute because yeah. there are quite a it, few shots just of jungle with no characters or anything else going on. It, it's it's interesting. Did you ever uh, 
Did you ever read Huck Finn in a uh, long time ago? Long time. I, uh, people used to say the, uh, the river in that book was kind of a character in and of itself. You could argue that in predator, the jungle is kind of a character in and of itself. You could, you could, I would, yeah, and I'm going to reference this field guide for jungle operations later on in, in the minute uh, today. But um, it, it, it does like the field manual itself does kind of speak to that um, jungle as a character, just the characteristics of it mm-hmm. and just how dangerous uh, an environment it can be for uh, any kind of operation. Yep. So you being the guest, though, Patrick, I always open it up to the guest first. What would you like to talk about for this minute? So I guess we can start just sort of from uh, from the beginning in terms of, of the scene. So it's uh, that first shot that we see. It's um, so I, I was I was kind of trying to think, is it a so it's it continues a little bit from where the last minute ended, but it's that, you know, a very long shot that starts out kind of circling around uh, Dylan. And then it sort of um, start, you know, kind of lays back behind as, as the very, as our team kind of proceeds into the jungle and then ends up, I think the last person that it's following there is Blaine, but it's, it's interesting because it's a pretty long continuous shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm always thinking said, I was, I try to think more about technical elements now is this, is that a crane? Is that somebody's sort of holding that kind of a steady cam type thing I, I would sort of think I think it's probably steady cam and if so it's sort of impressive because you you can sort of see there that it's not very even ground at all so you figure that that's somebody who's kind of got a, a camera in front of them that they are you know having to steady themselves and having to kind of walk and, and make sure that it's all good and it's not it's not shaky so it's actually just from technically that's a really impressive shot as we sort of um, are kind of you know really getting uh, the team involved and then watching them go into the jungle. So that was kind of my first thought. Just counting the number of shots and uh, John McTiernan is really proud of uh, his early movies at least and how few cuts he would have. Mm-hmm. And you can see the same thing in this minute where that good chunk of like what you're saying that handheld steady cam must be lasting the first, I don't know, 20 seconds or so of this shot or of this minute, yeah. um, which is actual continuation of the previous minute. So that all together, that's about a 30 second shot. Mm-hmm. And then right after like a little five second interstitial, when you zoom into Poncho's face goes from like Poncho's face to a rack focus to following Dutch giving hand signals and that whole thing is an entire shot in itself an entire 30 second uh, shot in itself so like you're saying just from a technical standpoint it's very impressive so many moving pieces with like following Dylan and Blaine and Dutch Mm -hmm. and Mac and like in front of them even like you just barely see it but like they've even sent out the first couple people just for the shot and you only you barely barely see you know Hawkins and or Billy uh, who who are leading the line so like you're saying it's really impressive it's like just a, just a, cr- a true craftsman uh, at work yeah, here absolutely um and this first shot is also i believe where we get our first look at one of uh one of my favorite uh <laughs> things about it which is uh what what blaine is carrying we see what i think the word you're looking for is character yeah yeah <laughs> character the because uh, we uh we see that he's got uh, is the correct term the minigun or what it what is it is the correct term and yeah. you know just like all good characters it has a name yep old painless <laughs> old painless is waiting <laughs> yep. So I, I find this kind of interesting, um, sort of from, from two from two different things. Because um, earlier in, in one of the earlier minutes, where we hear Blaine talking, you know, he's he's chewing and he's uh, talking about, you know, this stuff will make you a sexual tyrannosaurus. 
just and, like me. Yeah, and, and you really get a you really get a feel for this guy is really full of himself and cocky and macho, but in a fun way. And you know what a what a perfect weapon to complement his personality. <laughs> yep. Um, although you gotta wonder. I mean, he puts up. Uh, you know, he puts up such a such bravado. Uh, you got to wonder. I mean, this is is this sort of um, you know compensating? Kind of compensating, yeah. Could be, yeah. Um, making all the yeah, making all the statements. Sexual Tyrannosaurus using like a, a a gay slur against other people, and yeah, carrying the biggest gun ever carried in the history of cinema up to that point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. And and if you read into it, and John McTiernan talks about this uh, later on in his own like post reflections about Predator, about um, one of the main themes being the, the impotence of weapons of like, I guess he, you could go to a further degree and say masculinity in the, in the face of certain forces or certain things. Um, those certain forces are certain things. I don't really know what Predator is really meant to represent at this point, because I haven't really thought deeply yet about the monster angle and the creature mm-hmm. angle, but um, it's it's interesting to hear what you're saying and connect that to what McTiernan has talked about uh, in the yeah. past, what the ineffectiveness of these weapons end up representing. The, the other thing that I find interesting about Old Painless is that, uh, you know, up to this point, um, what, what Dutch and his team have been told by Dylan is this is, you know, this is a rescue operation. This is, <laughs> this is extraction. You're going to get in, you're going to get out. So what we're if, not assassins. They're not assassins. And that is... <laughs> Under that description, that is old painless is like the least fitting weapon for what uh, what they're supposedly doing. Which, yep. um, so so either they really uh, subscribe to the Boy Scout mantra of "Be prepared in case everything goes you know to heck in a handbasket." Or the other thing I was thinking, because earlier Dutch mentions they like to do things their own way. And what I, right. what I sort of wonder if he, you know, maybe as a leader, maybe the reason why they have so much respect for him is that he just lets his individual team members choose their own weapons. Yeah. If, you, if you want to haul a 50-pound minigun into the jungle, because that's <laughs> what you feel most comfortable with, you know, who am I to stop you? Right. Plus all uh, the ammo. You see the backpack on his back. Oh, and that's just, yeah. that's just like a fraction of what... Right, we've talked about it. I've talked about it in a previous minute, but that's just a fraction of what you would need to mow down a jungle for a good two minutes. It's seriously like you need a helicopter worth of that ammo, just how quickly it, uh, it goes it, through. Yeah, uh, I like how you mentioned everybody has their different loadouts. It's one of the notes I took right away when you see that handheld steady cam shot of Dylan following the rest of the troops. Mm-hmm. You you see just like over the shoulders you can see dutch holding his m16 you see dylan with the mp5 you see mac with the m60 mm-hmm. machine gun that's that heavy machine gun that probably at that point up until the minigun you know you're thinking wow that's like a huge gun for someone yeah. to handhold and then you have blaine with the mp5 but then also with the <laughs> the rucksack full of minigun full of old painless and yeah everybody kind of doing things their own way and later on you see poncho with his own grenade launcher that was made just for the film hawkins is, i think is using mp5 like the others and billy is well he's using machine guns and similar things to other people until the very end when he has his uh, machete out it's interesting because he definitely uh it's it's you know talking about you mentioned that the director talked about impotence and sort of that he, he definitely sells in sort of in the shot when you see these 
folks with their guns sort of for the first time that, you know, that, you know, these are people you really don't want. I mean, not that you would, not that you wouldn't think that when you first saw them, but now he's kind of reinforcing these are really tough guys. And, and what, what are they going to be going up against that, you know, this wouldn't be, that these, these guys couldn't handle it. And they're all carrying the weapons around in the jungle and yeah, looking all formidable, which is a complete different take than what we saw from them on the chopper right over where they were just joking around, goofing just goofing around and goofing around, giving each other a hard time. Jamming to long, tall Sally. Bopping their heads to the music and like, there's no smiles here. There's not even any talking, which is awesome for a minute. You know, it, it's like uh, the first, I would say it's like really the first minute in this movie where there truly is no talking because before where there was no talking those first couple minutes, they had the credits rolling and generally you're not going to have people talking and given a lot of dialogue and interaction when uh, credits are rolling in the beginning. Uh, so it's it's cool to just to have a silent minute and they're just telling you everything you need to know, just like you're saying, not a team you would mess with. They're all business. And they pan around uh, Dylan there and they are just like hustling through the jungle where they change scenery to um, the next scene there. They, they cut in the middle of this minute and we see the next scene, which is, I would say, a crane shot lowering for a few seconds. And yep. then it zooms right into to Poncho's face as he's looking slightly up, you know, into maybe the lower canopy. Talking about that that crane shot for a second there, it does highlight one of the things, and, and I know this is going to sound sort of very obvious, but obviously jungles are very very thick in foliage, <laughs> and yep. and one of the thing I one of the things I think this crane shot is sort of emphasizing is when you're right in the thick of a of a jungle is how hard it is to see. Now mm-hmm. now we'll learn later that the predator has things at his disposal to camouflage himself, but even if he didn't, I mean visibility is so restricted in the jungle that it's very easy basically for anybody to hide. Yeah. So I think that that shot like that is sort of an early sign of that, that there's just so much foliage that it's really hard to see more than a couple feet in front of you. Yeah, and they're they're totally putting the foliage just right in front of the camera, you know, like here, but also in the uh, next few seconds after it goes from Poncho to look in the background at Hawkins and taps Dutch on the shoulder and like there's a full, I don't know, five to seven seconds of just like this bush right in the way, just totally obstructing everything. And the bush isn't meant to hide like a, a tricky edit or anything like that. It's just to be in the way and kind of like, oh, like, come on, move that camera to something I can see. Like, you know, given the audience that that claustrophobia that Aaron and I have been just hammering on so much this time, it's like, yeah, like this jungle, right? It might be like a, a natural environment, but it is everything is so up close, like the terrain, the trees vines the mist itself there's like this mist overlaid overlaying everything and it, it, that itself is just making everything more obscure yeah and just adding to the confusion of the visuals and then adding i would say to the confusion in the audio is something you took a note of too if you want to talk about um the score and the sound effects so so the next shot that we have here is 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 showing poncho kind of looking up at something in the trees and while this is going on there's uh that we, we get the first instance of of this little sort of drum mm. drum thing that's this kind of tribal sounding i love uh, the drums it's, it's oh my great gosh. and it's and it's used a lot in the film but it's it's sort of a sign it, it kind of it means you know it's kind of the first indication that something's not quite right and that we learn that it's actually used a lot to sort of as, a, as an early sign that the predator is nearby mm-hmm. um, and we actually see uh poncho he he stares up at something in the trees for a few seconds before he he turns his head and looks at something else so you know it almost kind of makes you wonder if something 
in his military training is sort of, you know, is he suspecting something? Is there something going on that he can't quite put his finger on, but he sort of knows that there's something, something's off about this? To go along with that, that's like when you, right, when you zoom into his face, that's when you have those drums playing. And I like that cut right in the middle of this minute in that when you have that kind of reset of, of a scene, sometimes that can be like a relief to, an, to the audience because you're saying, oh, like, okay, like we're pulling back a little bit from this tense moment, like when they're first landing in the jungle. But then those like drums yep. arrive as soon as like you're zooming in on Poncho's face and the drums are like very like hurried and like disorienting. Like I can't mm-hmm. imagine like, I don't know, I was trying to put myself, if I'm in the jungle and you hear those drums, I, I can't imagine like the, the, the fear like uh, some novice or rookie would have like <laughs> at that yep. point saying, oh my God, like yeah. are there other people out here? And right, like you're saying, it's to drive home the point that right, there's, there, there's something something different about yep. this mission. There's something off. Absolutely. Then from there, uh, Poncho, he, he turns his head and, and heads out of frame. And then it's it's still the same shot that we've got uh, Hawkins now. Well, they, they, tra- they transition with the uh, rack focus, which is honestly like after learning what that was, it became like my favorite kind of shot. And John McKiernan uses this excellently throughout this movie where as soon like Poncho's in the foreground, his head goes out of frame. Mm-hmm. And then the blurrier background becomes comes in focus all in the same shot yeah. which is like so masterful and yeah. um the one technical difficulty i heard with rack focuses is that it's really hard to do special effects with a rack focus in the same shot so you have to make sure everything you're doing is right the the, the practical very, very well choreographed yeah very well choreographed there's no fixing really a yeah. rack focus it would look very cartoonish it's interesting when you um because i remember sort of when you're talking about shots that change focus like this because i remember one of uh, christopher nolan's movies because when you shoot on actual film and it's not like digital where you get you can kind of instantly play it back when you shoot on film you you know you have to wait to actually get it sort of takes a while to actually see what it is you shot Mm -hmm. and i remember in one of christopher nolan's movies maybe in the dark knight that they shot a scene and they shot it perfectly except when they actually went to look at the film a few hours later they realized that it had been shot out of focus oh no and they had to go back and reshoot the scene again and so i think this was obviously made back in in 87 so or yep. so you know there's no digital you know this is all film so it's impressive even something like that where they're changing focus but they're such professionals about you know that this is this is all okay and it's you know everything's in focus where it needs to be that's yeah really impressive that like <laughs> nolan is is right that that studious as well as a, of a filmmaker which which is and this is like always a testament i go back to which is that you know it's a shame mctiernan didn't make more movies past like oh three when he was quagmire himself in all sorts of legal troubles and doing things he really wasn't supposed to be doing right. so we i feel like we lost a real person who really wanted to make movies and make them well so i don't know it makes it makes it all the more valuable that he's made something like this that we can look at uh, a minute at a time no for sure uh, as they rack focus back to the background we see uh, hawkins and blaine they start moving honestly it looks like they're waiting on their marks a little bit and then when the rack focuses on the background on them it's almost like they're waiting for their little cue. Then it's like, okay, go. But that, you know, again, speaks to how you, when you do it on film, everything has yeah. to be so well choreographed. You can't have something, yeah. <laughs> people going early and being lost in the shot. Absolutely. So once it comes in onto Hawkins now, we've got uh, the music starts to change a little bit. Um, it's still very, um, what I would say is it, the, it's not like sort of flowing music where it's a theme that's worked on, but it's a lot of kind of different disparaging sounds, not just drums, but now 
out different musical tones. And it's, again, very, you know, separate pieces kind of colliding. And it's another way that they're sort of using um, score and sound design to reinforce the, the disorientation of being in the jungle. Have you ever uh, have you see, ever seen the original uh, Planet of the Apes with uh, Charlton Heston? Probably a long time ago, like back in the eighties. Okay. <laughs> so that was movie came out in '68, I want to say. But the the score there did something similar, where you know it's one way to disorient people is just with music is just to have a lot of these separate sounds colliding. So it's it's very very much reminded me of that. But Hawkins seems to have it together enough, at least to uh, you know walk on over to Dutch. And I think he's just, uh, I think he's just kind of letting him know that the coast is clear on his end. Yeah, and then Dutch, Dutch gives a little signal with, you know, this kind of like, I don't know, exact arm motion where it's kind of upward, but also kind of like sweeping forward. I, I would think it has something to do with maybe Poncho climbing a tree in the next few seconds. Um, that's that's kind of my guess. And if that's the case, if right, if that is the actual actor Richard Chavez, like that makes the shot all the more impressive because it's just continuing on. Like you can, now, you know, we had the close up of your face looking around. We saw you leave the shot, and then all of a sudden, like, up. we see your boots yep. as they're um, oh, very, very well placed the there. Yeah, and I and I do like that little. Uh, so right after uh, Hawkins has, has tapped Dutch's shoulder and he signals over, it does go. The camera passes, and there's that plant that's like right up in on the camera again out of focus but it is again it's another indication about uh you know how hard it is to sort of see in the jungle that there's even in a planned shot like this there's still stuff sort of you know in the foreground that just makes it very hard same thing sort of with the with the tree or, or the thing that he's walking up that you just go right under it you know your vision is temporarily obscured there right and i think you made a note concerning that of the uh, of mctiernan talking about just how hard it was to uh, shoot in the jungle yeah i remember uh yeah i remember watching a making of at one point where they're talking about this because obviously the challenges in order for people and 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 cameras and these crew to be able to move it was this weird push and pull of they needed to clear out some of the of the plants and some of the foliage and stuff in order to be able to do that but they couldn't do it too much or else you lose the sense that you're in a jungle um and they said that was a very difficult thing to kind of manage that balance of you still need to be in the jungle but you also need to be able to move all this equipment that you're using to make this film so as he said it was a very challenging thing to do right plus you're <laughs> destroying the environment so you have to like mm-hmm. and you're not in you know you're not in the u.s you're in a different country right they're filming this in in mexico these scenes and i'm not really sure when the switch happens but it happens sometime in the movie where they are filming in puerto vallarta for some scenes and they're filming in palenque on the yucatan peninsula and and those are from what i've read they're those are two different forest types where I believe one is more seasonal. I think the part of Vallarta rainforest is much more seasonal to the point where some of the shots when they were first filming were really making McTiernan mad because they're like noticing that they're filming in a season in which not a ton of leaves are on the trees or a lot of leaves are brown and they're having to put on the green themselves. So it's that movie magic where I can't really tell necessarily scene to scene, but if I were to like maybe jump around in the movie, I'd see that difference. Yeah. Then he lobbied to move the production to a more traditional jungle environment. And that's yeah. where they went to the Yucatan Peninsula where more dense, more green, the right season, I guess. That's interesting. I, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So there are seasonal forests in Mexico. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah. It's, that's a nice little environmental lesson. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not something we never, we necessarily think about when we talk about the jungle, but that just like uh, any other place, 
place, if it's far enough from the equator, then you're going to have seasons. Even jungles can have seasons. I think you mentioned this earlier that the kind of the last shot we get in this minute is just another sort of shot where it's you know, leaves obscuring things. And just again, it's, it, you know, what I would say this minute is sort of highlighting is just disorientation of the jungle. Mm-hmm. So that's what it that's what it closes on. Yeah, here. welcome to the jungle. You're gonna die. Um, so I had a question uh, for you, and then I was gonna talk a little bit about the field manual for the army concerning jungle jungle operations. Uh, but before I do, Patrick, what is <laughs> Patrick? What is your history uh, with the movie Predator? And then after this, I'm gonna ask you your favorite scene and or line. Okay, so I, I remember it very distinctly that the first time I ever saw saw Predator was... I was in the seventh grade, so I would have been 12 or 13 at the time. And it was on FX. Do, do you guys use, do you used to get the F, do you sell, you, it's still around. It's, it's, you, it's, you it's have, still around, but yeah, we just, we just do everything yeah. internet nowadays. We don't have the cable package. Well, but, well, back in the day when people had cable, FX was a channel people got. And uh, at the time they were showing it a lot. So I remember I was watching it and my dad actually came in and in general, I mean, there were a few things my dad shared combo it would always surprise me when he actually knew something from pop culture (laughs) but literally it was it was a moment where he walked in and said oh you're watching predator and it was this weird oh he knows what this is and and I, I was watching the ending, so it was it's one of those things that can happen when you're watching stuff on TV is you you see the end of a movie and then you're like oh that's that's really nice I hope that's on again um, so I can watch the rest of it and luckily it was because FX at the time was doing uh, they called it DVD on TV but they would show movies and then in addition to showing the movies they would also show extras from like what would you would see in a DVD so they actually would do this Predator was one of the main ones they showed so. They they were they would show a lot of the behind the scenes stuff as they were showing the movie. So I watched. I mean, I, I must have watched Predator like five or six <laughs> times in that in that stretch there. <laughs> so that's my first experience with Predator. I've got uh, okay. Uh, I got a got a couple others. Um, I remember. Fast forward a bit to when I was 19. I was home. I must have been like spring break from college or something. Mm. And, you know, I other people were like going to the beach or whatever. I was just chilling at my, my dad's house again. And I was downstairs in the basement uh, and Predator was on. So, you know, I just watched it all the way through. So and on TV, it took whatever, two, three hours. Mm. And, you know, that it, by the time you're done with Predator, I mean, if your blood isn't pumping, there's... <laughs> There's something, uh, there's something going on. Oh yeah, you just need to dive into like Total Recall or RoboCop yeah. or Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something just just as juicy. Mm-hmm. But I, I walked up, and by the time I came up, it was midnight, and I walked up, and a deer had gotten into my in our yard, and so I walked up, and I'm walking through the living room of the house, and all of a sudden, I just see the silhouette of this deer <laughs> against the moonlight, and I'm pumped, <laughs> and it was just this like kind of this this get this adrenaline filled gas of oh my god there's a deer so th- those are my those are my two main experiences and then you know just uh, periodically i i go in and i and i rent it or i watch it it's it's a fun one certainly to revisit the, uh, those are some awesome experiences thank you for 
Thank you for sharing. No problem. I'll ask your line and just like your favorite line here in a minute. But what I usually do every minute is talk about any differences between the script and the movie. And this being a silent scene, they also keep a silent scene in the script itself. They're just describing mm-hmm. the motions and the hand gestures, the thickness of the jungle. Uh, but there's really nothing extra added to the movie or taken away from the movie that the script originally put in. So like I said before, silent mini, silent minute in terms of dialogue, it's really nice letting all the camera do the work and the actors actually act physically act. Yeah. On, on that note, what would be your favorite line or your favorite scene or, or both from this movie? Favorite line. Well, the one that comes to mind is, uh, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Yep. Um, I, I actually, it's just a very awesomely hardcore line, but I, I take it as a little bit of, uh, of an inspirational line, you know, as far mm-hmm. as if something can be defeated, then you'll find a way to do it. If it's, if it's possible, you can find a way to do it. I sometimes find myself when I'm have a challenge at work or or whatever i you know i whisper to myself if it bleeds we can kill it oh man that is that is cool i like the inspiration yeah and then did you also i forget did you ask for a favorite scene or yeah if you have a favorite scene love, love to hear it favorite scene is actually it's actually at the very end uh so so spoiler alerts but uh, so the very end when after after the little thermo nuke has gone off and then the choppers see it and they what patrick i haven't even seen the end of the movie this is uh, oh, this uh, is breaking some kind of unwritten rule oh but, I, no, should you... i have wrapped that a spoiler alert or, heavy spoiler alert. heavy spoiler hashtag spoilers okay, okay. all right hashtag spoilers um <laughs> and the chopper's descending and it's just arnold with the mist separating and he's in this you know cleared field from all the thermo you know, that's been cleared out and the mm-hmm. little uh the little trumpet the little trumpet line that plays i i think is literally i'm not joking here one of the most beautiful pieces of, of music ever written and uh there was there was a time in my life where where you know, seventeen or eighteen year old Patrick would have uh, would have said, "When I die, that's that's what you're playing at my funeral as I'm being lowered down into the uh, to the ground." All right, and hey, it's 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 you know. This is going to be evergreen, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be you know holding you to that. We'll let the people know in your last will and testament. You yeah. want to, you want to have that played? And yep. yeah, I mean that it's yeah that 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 ending it does it does tug at me too. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So that's the last scene. Cool. You like you like that last scene and mm-hmm. seeing the, the the survivor flown away in the chopper mm-hmm. finally. In prepping for this minute, looking at the dialogue and the music and the vegetation, couldn't help but think now that they're in the jungle, I really wanted. To see what kind of tips there would be for surviving in the jungle uh, specifically related to military tactics and luckily i was able to find a pdf online that calls itself the field manual for the army colon jungle operations 1982 which in itself sounds like this awesome action movie yeah. i would watch break down a minute at a time but it, it, it was really awesome to be able to find something like this this near 200 page manual supposedly given to commanders soldiers and on down the line for those about to execute some operations uh, in the jungle. I don't know if you had a chance to look at this, but it's 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 quite remarkable and, and something I've been totally planning on talking about from now until I can basically <laughs> until I, until I can yeah. Yeah, um, throughout the minutes. So, did you have a chance to look at this? I mean, it's not required reading. Yeah, no, I, I glanced through uh, through the excerpt um, that you put on there. So it's uh, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was just going to 
read a couple of excerpts yeah. in, in the teach in the teaching biz. This is called uh, enrichment or realia. We also call it R E A L I A, where you like take something from like here's something real. It's like I know applying realism to this movie mm-hmm. isn't always the way the way to go or the, like the one to one analog, and that's if the shoe fits, uh, man. The shoe. Yeah, if the shoe fit. If it, hey, if it bleeds, yep, <laughs> we can read it. Um, <laughs> uh, but this manual, like I said, and it covers so many different things. Or two hundred, about two hundred pages long. Uh, it covers everything from defining the different types of jungle to identifying jungle threats to jungle combat logistics. Just colloquially, when we talk about jungle, uh, trying to find a definition online that really nails that down is really hard to do because uh, what you end up learning, trying to define what a jungle is, you're just learning that it's really any kind of woods that are hard to traverse, whether that be because of the weather, the level of visibility due to heavy canopy or the level of the lack of maneuverability due to like heavy vegetation. But a lot of things can fit in that category of jungle. Mm -hmm. Is it okay if I read a little bit from the manual? Awesome. So it opens with a quote from British Field Marshal William Slim, or we just call him Slim for short. Uh, But he was uh, a decorated officer in the British military during World World Wars One and Two, and he's most famous for the Burma campaign, which saw British commanders stationed in India using British and Indian troops to fight um, the Japanese through the Burmese jungles and essentially giving rise to this modern jungle warfare strategies, technologies. um, And and here's Slim right in the beginning of the field manual, very fitting, giving the quote saying, to our men, the jungle was a strange, fearsome place. Moving and fighting in it were a nightmare. We are too ready to classify jungle as impenetrable. To us, it appeared only as an obstacle to movement. To the Japanese, it was a welcome means of concealed maneuver and surprise. The Japanese reaped the deserved reward. We paid the penalty. And then it dives into like where in the world some major jungles are. It's like a really, really uh, simple map legend saying, you know, like, oh, like northeastern South America and Central America and or Central West Africa, a little bit of Southeast Africa along the Indian coastline. Southeast Asia, um, the different Pacific Islands. Um, Then it breaks down some of the different uh, jungle types, tropical rainforest, deciduous, swamps, savanna, bamboo. Um, And the last thing I will leave you you with reading wise is uh, chapter two talks all about life in the jungle. And I just want to read the big quote from chapter two, the intro, and then, yeah, we'll jump into some hazards. Uh, But this is a quote from the report from the 25th Infantry Division in the Republic of Vietnam. Jungle fighting is not new to U.S. soldiers, nor does the enemy have a monopoly on jungle know-how. U.S. units adapted well to jungle fighting, and when we operated against the North Vietnamese Army along the Cambodian border, we found that they had as much difficulty operating in the area as we did. The prisoners we captured there were, as a rule, undernourished, emaciated, and sick with malaria. They stated that almost everyone in their unit had malaria and many had died from it. So that's that's an interesting quote, almost going opposite of the first quote, saying our soldiers, like it's this this jungle is like a, a this hard thing to maneuver, not just for us, but even enemies who you would think would be used to the jungle. Yeah. And um, <laughs> just just a just a funny little excerpt right after that quote, they they're starting to introduce and trying to put your mind at ease as a soldier reading all these quotes and learning about the jungle. It says there is very little to learn or no, there is very little to fear from 
the jungle environment. Fear itself can be an enemy. Soldiers must be taught to control their fear of the jungle. A man overcome with fear is of little value in any situation. Soldiers in a jungle must learn that the most important thing is to keep their heads and calmly think out any situation. And then it goes on for the next 10 pages talking about all the hazards of the jungle. Mm -hmm. Talks about insects, the climate, leeches, snakes, crocodiles, poisonous plants, other wild animals, just health and hygiene in general, diseases, fungus, heat stroke, <laughs> natives. And, and, and right before that, they're saying <laughs> fear is your greatest uh, threat in this jungle. And I would go, well, I don't yeah. know because... <laughs> fear, is, fear is your greatest threat, but you may yeah. want to watch out for these too. But, <laughs> All uh, these actual physical things. Certainly the advice about uh, you know keeping your head cool and uh you know working out whatever problems are coming your way i think that that's good advice for dutch and his team given, yeah given what they'll be encountering but uh yeah people like mac i can't help but think of mac like oh he he was not up to speed on his field his, manual yep you never <laughs> if he had just read that a little bit more you never know it's a little bit of advice. We won't be having some fun later on. And oh my God. No, that's, yeah, it's, it's just made me laugh. I'll save some of the next sections, jungle survival tips for uh, minute 13. Yeah, if, if, if you want some extra reading on jungle strategy for the army back in the 80s, yeah, it's, it, this is a, a fun little guide to have complete with illustrations and, you know, your, your sidebars and all, all the things that make a really good feature article, which is something we teach the students in sixth grade these days, how to make a good feature article. Maybe I'll use this as, as a good example. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, I will say just, just one more enrichment thing. Just if you want to do some extra research about the origin of modern day jungle tactics, someone you have to research is this British commander named Ord Wingate. He was somewhat of a rival of Slim, William Slim, and butted heads a lot during World War II, but Ord Wingate really pushed you know, these, these tactics to the point of helping the morale of uh, the British back home and, and hearing that, hey, they're having some success in the Pacific campaign. Um, and so he's he's well known for kind of pushing forward these modern tactics of jungle operations or Wingate. So I'm not going to really go into detail about him, but anything we've been missing so far, Patrick, that you can think of right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting now that you've, uh, yeah, you when you've talked about, uh, I think, malaria, when you read in one of the re things you just read, and you and in the list of things to be that to be wary of, there's you know issues of insects. It sort of is. It, I think it's interesting in the context of this movie, sort of because because uh, none of those apply to them. Yeah, they are all. I mean, they're they're out walking around and <laughs> with their with their bare arms showing, and uh, they're just shaving. Yeah, shaving bare arms. They're just. Uh, letting it all out there and they'll only lose articles of clothing as the film goes on. Um, <laughs> yep. So they're, they're, they're clearly a fearless sort. Yeah. They'll even come across and overcome other humans as obstacles, yeah. just as well armed as they are. But like another thing, that's not really a threat to them in this jungle. There's only real, there's only one real yeah. threat in this jungle. It's, it's, it's coming. Um, did you have anything from any previous minutes since this is your first minute on? We've already had 11 minutes up till now. Uh, we had the mission debrief and the helicopter ride, the handshake. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, but it, it sort of fits in. So, uh, do so, it. So earlier when, uh, Blaine talks about how what he's chewing will make you, uh, 
what, what's that phrase? A, a sexual Tyrannosaurus. A goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. Yep. Just like me. You know, it's interesting because obviously when he said that, he was referring to Tyrannosaurus as a very, uh, you know, as, as a vision of sort of raw masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, you know, he's, this is sort of back when, before we knew that dinosaurs were more like birds. So we always thought of them as big, scaly, lizardy, crocodile things. And that, that imagery doesn't quite work for a while because as paleontologists have uh, mm-hmm. gone on and and they've said, you know, dinosaurs are like birds and, and dinosaurs had feathers. And then they started pushing for a while that uh, T-Rex had, had feathers, which uh, doesn't doesn't quite fit that imagery because um, uh-uh. they, you know, they started to make, you know, when you'd see uh, scientific depictions of T-Rex, he was covered in like like a very large turkey or chicken or something. Um, but I, I'm happy to say that I came across an article last year that uh, paleontologists uh, found some new fossil evidence, and and now they're uh, they're they're happy to say that now the current theory is that T. Rex actually didn't have feathers, and he's got oh uh, wow okay he's, he's got scales again. So uh, I think uh, the validity of Blaine's uh, metaphor has been preserved for future generations. All right, yeah, we can. Still use that quote with all sorts of pride, at least the second part of that quote. Yep. Right? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then the other thing, you know, I was thinking of it, it's the interesting, the long, tall Sally is as music that they're kind of using, uh, that they're playing while they're uh, in that helicopter. And I was thinking, you know, if I were, what would I, what would I be playing? If, uh, yeah. if I were, Ooh. and I think you, you mentioned earlier, welcome to the jungle. I, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind uh, putting that on if I was going on a, a jungle mission. And, and for what it's worth, Welcome to the Jungle came out in 87, which is the same year Predator. So if, if Guns N' Roses were wanting to get a little foothold in there, it would have may have made bo- may have been to the benefit of both parties. But I- Oh, totally. Yeah, that's uh, Guns N' Roses. And they end up doing the big track for Terminator 2, you know, yep. Ar- you know one of Arnold's other huge movies. Yep. That's, that's funny. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the jungle yeah I, I think of that song every now and then with watching this just like yep and they say the whole you're all gonna die it's like yeah. or you're gonna die and it's like it's like what billy says later on like we're all gonna die yep <laughs> it works yeah it works works for the movie uh something i meant to ask you early on was this this is looking like some really hard to traverse territory mm-hmm. terrain what have you what's the most difficult landscape you've had to make your way across as far as uh you know, hikes that I've done. It was actually one I did relatively recently. So I was uh, up around Lake Placid in in New York State a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and uh, there's a there's a trail up there going up to I think the mountain's name is Cascade, but it's a it's a short it's a, it's only about a two mile trail one way, but it basically goes straight up this mountainside. The mountain's not called Cascade for nothing because the trail is there's no like it, it's not really a trail. It's just a whole bunch of boulders are, are all along this trail to the point where at any point you're walking, you're putting your feet on boulders, and it's actually pretty. It, 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 you have to work and actually think about where you're going to be putting your feet on this thing, um, both wow. going up and, and coming down because, uh, you know, it is possible to slip and uh, lose your balance and then you'll go tumbling down. So I top my head, I think that's the most treacherous path I've been on. That sounds, yeah, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Kind of yeah. like, and, 
you can't, and then you don't want to overthink it. Like I must think about it enough to know where to put my foot, but I don't want yeah. to overthink it and think like that I could be slipping on every single one of these and lead to all sorts of bad news. Yep. So still, still a fun hike, but it's uh, definitely had to think about that one a bit. Okay. Gosh, I, I think the last thing I wanted to ask was, what do you think of the Predator? I have, <laughs> when I say the Predator, I mean the most recent movie, and I have your review right in front of me. Um, but oh. you want, want you speak to this uh, this uh, this new movie called The Predator? Well, I, uh, the the Cliff Notes version is I I did not like it, did not uh, <laughs> was was not a fan of it. It's kind of uh, did not like. It was a film that I, I don't think was ever. I, I don't think it was ever strongly written, um, but it's it is very. It's was neither written well nor was it assembled well. There's um, a, a lot of. It's gonna. What I'm gonna say now is gonna sound a little bit paradoxical, but it, it's it's full of a lot of, of bad dialogue and and <laughs> underwhelming moments, and it's all much too short. And what I mean by that is that uh, uh, the movie clocks in at, at, I forget, something like an hour and 40 minutes, but it, there's a lot missing in it. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's it's been a trend in studios as of late that when they don't believe in a film, they sort of will hack it down for time because they can get more showings in a day to do that. Um, so yeah. I'm pretty sure this was a victim of that. And so it's it's this, the, the result is there's a lot I think that was taken out of this. So it's really just kind of a disorienting mess to watch. You know, a lot of, uh, I, none of the human characters I thought were, were compelling. Yeah, I, I did not like any yeah. of the human characters. And like, that's such a yep. selling point for me for something. If I don't like it, like there's no stakes it, right. for me then. The the action is is really really bad, and particularly for the for the Predator standards, because Predator movies, even some of the other ones, like I, I thought Predators had pretty good action in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought yeah. Predator too. Uh, say what you will about Danny Glover, but he works in the action scenes in those mo- in that movie. Um, yeah, but the action I thought was was really bad here. Um, some of the mo- some of the moments in the Predator are just hard to to comprehend. Like uh, the the one I'm thinking of is where uh, is this a spoiler? Are we wrapping this in a spoiler? I I, I guess yeah. All right, let's let's wrap it. Like since this movie is like actually this year versus yeah. the Predator, which so, so spoiler there's um there, there is a scene in the Predator where there is a predator in in the back of a uh, is a van or a truck or something with a with a severed arm and the guy uh, driving this vehicle thinks there's somebody in the back who he asks him are you okay and and the predator extends the severed arm with uh, with a thumbs up oh my to, God. to indicate that he's okay <laughs> and it, it is one of those moments where you kind of stop and you go Oh, somebody actually, Shane Black wrote that into into the script. <laughs> he, uh, it's it's just weird. Um, the other uh, one of the other things I thought was uh, pretty frustrating about the movie was that it, it ends on a pretty big tease. Where uh, mm-hmm. so now this is really a spoiler because this is uh, this is the end of the film. It, it turns out that so that we we there's different predators in the movie and and one uh, ostensibly wants to help people. Mm-hmm. I, I say ostensibly <laughs> because right. uh, there's there's conflicting evidence. Uh, <laughs> Maybe to add up all his actions, still it's hard to tell what he's trying to do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, 
supposedly wants to help people, and uh, he he's brought <laughs> he's brought humanity a gift in the form of uh, an anti predator suit that that human beings can wear, and it, and it looks a little bit like you know it's armor with kind of the predator mask on it, and that would have been at least a new direction for the for the uh for the series but it certainly ends on uh you know you you will have to wait for a sequel that probably uh, probably <laughs> won't happen but it's it, it's an interesting idea i just wish it came in at the end of a of a of a better movie um and also while i'm on the subject uh, so the one of the plot points in the predator is that there's a a kind of a, a wonder a wonder kid who's really really intelligent and uh so intelligent that he kind of uh hacks in or accesses uh advanced uh advanced alien technology and <laughs> but but he nevertheless thinks it's a good idea to uh to take a, a predator mask and, and use it as a halloween mask so he's smart enough to decode it and uh not uh not prudent enough to realize that i i could go on uh, but it's it's there's there it's it's not a good movie. It's it's sort of moments of it are fascinating, but not necessarily in a good way. Yeah, uh, it's 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 sort of like I said, it's not written well. It's not put together well. It's uh, a a missed opportunity. Uh, that's that's the nicest way I can put it. It's, uh, it's a missed opportunity. I would say, and it's surprising because it came from Shane Black, who yeah. was involved in, in the first one, and I think we were all optimistic he was going to put this where it needed to be. It was disappointing. I totally agree with you. There's, and there are so many little cuts here and there where the edits were just glaring in your face how badly they were done or oh, just yeah. how much the studio, like you said, had chopped things out. Where There's one scene where there's uh, they're all in an RV all of a sudden, and there's no establishment of where this RV came from. <laughs> much 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 later they're like in the alien or they're in the predator ship and like he's ah, i can't remember the guy's name um traeger i think is, is the character name um help me out sterling brown sterling k brown mm, right yeah um he's he in one scene i can't remember if it's before or after like but it, he goes from like either shades or no shades or he either goes from shades to no shades or no shades to shades and back-to-back cuts like not even scenes but like back-to-back cuts he's like inside the predator ship and it's such a forgettable movie that i've forgotten which which one it is if it's without or with shades that he's in there next um blatant continuity here yeah um the ending totally reminded me of uh independence day resurgence did you see that one i i did and i have very I, uh, I I I swear by the first Independence Day and and the Independence Day resurgence was that was an, another it was like the Predator um, another mm-hmm. very disappointing sequel. Yep, and trying to set up everything to like we're gonna kick these aliens butts later. Like uh, I don't think no, you no, are. No. I think <laughs> I think the studio wins this one. The, or popular yeah. or unpopular fan opinion wins this one. The key to to making the key to ending the movie with the setup for a sequel is making a movie that's worth having a sequel made for it. That's, yeah. that's the key. Yeah, yeah, just just really frustrating. And uh, oh, the the dog, the dogs they have are really weird because the dogs are kind of like earth dogs which yes they, they mentioned that they're that the predators were doing gene splicing so i i my, the one quasi sure. deep thought that i had about that movie was 
did they just, I mean, did they just decide that they'd take some dog DNA and, and splice that in? And that's, that's what those things, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. it's, I, I don't know, but that's, I mean, it's certainly nothing the movie would bothers to comment on, but that's, I thought that was weird. Yeah, I thought it was weird because they, and they're, they're totally retro actively changing like the, the whole reasonings of these first few movies where yep. you think these first few movies are the hunters testing themselves in the jungle and in yep. the city and later on on their like hunting planet. But yeah. then you find out in this movie, <laughs> no, no, they're doing it because they want the DNA. Yeah. What? It's like it's skating awfully close to the aliens universe, even though they share a universe. I don't, I don't think <laughs> I don't think it makes sense to have both of like your heavy hitters doing the same thing. With, like, oh, we're like, we're just going to absorb the DNA of like these these huge muscly dudes. And like, that's what that's what's going to make us better. Mm-hmm. okay so how about let's stop talking about the predator um let's talk about you more though patrick where can people find you um so if as far as uh finding me um i shouldn't call it a website but my blog is probably the best place to um find my thoughts uh which is again uh the blog uh, you can find it at z movie reviews all one word uh dot wordpress.com um otherwise if you go to google and uh, type in z movie reviews um i think that'll it'll pop up um but i i try to get a few posts a month uh usually on uh you know whatever the most recent movies that i'm able to go check out but uh, i also do classic movies too um so that's okay. the most uh direct way to to find me sweet predator minute is part of a much larger <laughs> uh network of podcasts the movies by minute podcasts uh which in all fairness uh started with gutter balls which was um a weekly breakdown of the movie The Big Lebowski, but then this movies by minute format didn't truly gain popularity until Alex and Pete started Star Wars Minute, in which they break down the Star Wars movies, um, including the saga movies and the, the recent spinoffs, <clears throat> uh, one minute at a time. I believe they started with Star Wars, you know, the motion picture, 1977, um, way back in 2013, and um, they're just now entering the Force Awakens season, and all the Star Wars Minute fans are very excited about this um, starting, you know, in the next week or so, we hope. So if you want a complete list, though, of how many movies follow or how many podcasts follow this format of analyzing movies one minute at a time, you can go to moviesbyminutes.com and... You're mentioning Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes does have their own uh, minute breakdown. It's just called Minute of the Apes. So if Very you're ever clever. curious about, yeah, do, do you? Um, what is your favorite movie? And and I wonder if it's covered by the movie for the minute movie format. Uh, I'd I'd be curious. Uh, I I would say when I when people ask me what my favorite movie is, I usually respond with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know if that's on there, but because um, some of these podcasts, they you know have like an inclusive name or something like that, where it's not necessarily the name of the movie but um it might be like part of like the what is that trilogy called the the man with the, no name or the dollars trilogy or the yeah the dollars trilogy yes yeah. so i don't know if that's actually one that, that seems like that would be right for that yeah though, no, this whole, I, but... I, i'd be interested to hear a minute by a minute on that one there you go there's something that the people can hop on um uh, our music our bumper music intro and outro is a cover of the predator theme by alan silvestri the cover is provided by guitarist Chaosware. Um, that's K-A-O-S-W-A-R-E, Chaosware. I asked him permission when we first started putting this podcast together, and he said, sure, just give me the credit when you right when you talk about the music. And 
And there you go, Chaos Wear. Thanks again for uh, the music. If you had some difficult terrain that you've had to traverse uh, with or without aliens hunting you, um, send us an email at predatorminute at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, at Predator Minute. Uh, we host our files on SoundCloud, so that's always the easiest place to find the RSS feed and the most up-to-date downloads. Uh, but you'll also find us fed through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, other podcatching apps. And it looks like that's everything for this minute. So for Predator Minute, I'm John. And I'm Patrick. And until next time... If it bleeds, we can kill it. da 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 da